I wrote a book called Fever House, which is a, a sort of horror crime novel that starts with two leg breakers in Portland, Oregon, who stumble upon a severed hand in one of their clients' homes. Uh, and proximity to the hand produces uncontrollable violence and madness in anyone in proximity to it. And they take the hand, and soon enough, we discover that a government agency has actually lost it. It's part of the, this thing called the remnants, which are numerous body parts from this same being or person. And so they're on the hunt for it, and then it winds up in possession of this uh, young man named Nick Coffin, who lives with his mother, Catherine Moriarty, who has become agoraphobic after the brutal suicide of her husband. And as you read the book, you start to discover that all of this uh, disparate web of people are all intertwined. It's everything is related to each other. The hand, uh, the coffins, morality, the agency, everybody. I find myself doing this lately where when I first start out talking about the book, I'm actually not talking about the book. And if this is something that can't be part of the conversation, um, I totally understand we can cut that. But um at the very end of the uh, advanced copy that I got, um, there was a placeholder for an excerpt for the next book. So um, how public is that something that's public knowledge that this is a part of a series or there's a sequel or something? Yeah, I've gotten the green light to like uh, mention it. Um, it's going to come out. The sequel is going to come out in summer of 2024. Uh, the book is called The Devil by Name. And that's what nice. I have about 26 days to finish and send off to my, uh, to my editor. Um, so we're working hard on that right now. Awesome. Well, first of all, congratulations. That's, Thank um, you very I much. guess yeah. that's gotta be kind of the goal, right? Is to keep momentum going. Like you have, who was I, someone was talking, I think it might've been Brian Keene one time I was talking to or, or something or listening to somewhere. And he was talking about like, when your job is writing, um, if you're just promoting the book that's coming out now and you're not working on the next book, you're falling behind. So I have to imagine that by the time you finished edits on this one, you were probably deep in the next one. Yeah. Um, and thankfully I have the one after this already written. And so we just need to work on edits for that um, and do some rewrites and stuff. But so I'm a little bit ahead of the curve, but I mean, ideally, it's like, um, I want to be, and so far, the, the publishing company and my uh, editor are okay, are, are down for this, but I want to be the guy with a book a year coming out, yeah. you know, um, but it's such a balancing act, like you said, of like promo stuff and writing and revising and, you know, so it's, it's really a tight wire act. But yeah. the coolest tightwire act there ever will be, you know. <laughs> totally, and I got to imagine that um, it can't be easy to really switch gears um, unless you're prone to promotion. I know some people just don't care for that part of it, um, but it's it's just it's a necessary evil. You have to um, you have to go on podcasts. You have to be on social media. Usually, you have to plan some sort of you know virtual or actual you know, tour or something to do the promotion for it as well. So, yeah. Um, and it's, you know, yeah. I love that stuff. I'm, I'm so not averse to it. The only challenge for me is when I get this cool opportunity for like, you know, a blog post or, or an essay or whatever, 
from this venue or that one, but it's so open-ended that they're just like, yeah, we don't really care too much what it is. Just <laughs> give us something. And I'm like, oh God, that is that I find challenging, you know? Sure. Um, so like, it's like you could start at anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, give me a bit of a theme or something and I can riff on it, but just such an open-ended thing, you know? Um, but stuff like yeah. this is such a luxury, you know, it's such a, it's such <laughs> a, a privilege to be able to do this stuff. And, you know, with the idea of like, wow, people may actually want to hear all of this stuff blabbing, you know, that I'm blathering about. So yippee. Yeah. Um, good. Well, yeah. Cause yeah. I know some people just like, it's, it's, it's agony. Right. To do it's it. painful. So, totally. Um, yeah. Yep. Um, so that's good to hear that you're not just writhing the entire time we're talking. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, but th- one of the reasons that I wanted to start by talking about uh, the planned like sequel is that one of the things I noticed when reading the book, and I'm kind of going in reverse because I'm like I'm not talking about I'm talking about things kind of in a weird order. But oh, that's awesome. one of the things I noticed. <laughs> one of the things I noticed about the book is um, how much detail we get about the different characters and backstory, and it's and in my mind I'm thinking we're 80% into this book and I'm still getting origin information for characters. And I was like, this is pretty, this is pretty unique. I wonder what the goal of this is. And then when I got to the very end of the arc and it was like, there was the placeholder for the excerpt for the next thing I was thinking, Oh, he's doing some world building. He's creating space for like the future story. And once I saw that, like it was never a detractor. It was like, it, it felt kind of luxurious almost like i don't know if you're a seinfeld fan but like there was that one seinfeld where kramer adopted part of the highway and then he made the lanes wider um and it caused all this chaos but like uh-huh. it kind of felt like that there was just a lot more room to live with these characters than i was expecting it um so yeah it felt like once like once that tied it all together i was like oh this makes perfect sense it was the coolest uh experience getting this book like uh, I was a, I got a new agent, uh, Chad Louisville at uh, Janklau and Nesbitt. Awesome guy. We pr- we worked on the book for a couple months prepping it, and then he's like, "I got like thirty five people that I'm going to send it to, but like I'm going to get six or eight of them. I'm going to give them a couple days, like a first peek at it on like Thursday, and then we'll send the rest out on Monday." And he sent it out on Thursday. The next day. Caitlin McKenna at Random House emailed him and was like, oh my God, is there a sequel? And she sent it with her team on Friday. And on Monday, she reached out to him and was like, I want to set up a call with this dude. Tuesday, we had the phone call. And then Wednesday, we had the offer. And so it was like less than a week. And one of the things that she said was, uh, I want like 30,000 more words to this book, including like, backstories and world building like after the fever house is kind of kickstarted, you know? Um, so I don't know a lot of people who are like, here's this almost hundred thousand word book. Just go crazy, dude. You know, it was so cool to be like, you get more room to live in this place than, than less room, you know? So it was awesome. Yeah. That's hey, that's awesome. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think I've been talking to authors about their books for, almost 13 years now. And I, I think that's the first time someone was like, give me 30% more or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I, you know, uh, she is so smart and so good at her job. And it's just like, it's one of those things where like, I just have, uh, 
99% of her suggestions I took, you know, and it's like, I just have a total belief that uh, she and Chad have just steered this book in the right direction, you know? So mm. yeah, it made the book way stronger, all that stuff. So definitely deeper, richer, more like yeah. identifying with the characters. Cause it's not a small cast of characters. I wrote down, the main kind of three groups of characters, there's what, six, seven, eight, like, like 10, 10 main characters. Yeah, so there's, there's a, a lot of people. Ton. There's a, and it's like, <laughs> that can be a deterrent to a lot of people, like those big multi POV things, you know? And like the next one is, is even gnarlier, you know? So that's um, <laughs> just, it's one of those things. It's no book is going to be for every person, you know? And so like, if you like big sprawling, multi POV books, then you will probably dig this one. But that's yeah. again, not everybody likes books like that. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Um, but I, I think that there's a lot, there's a lot. So there's a lot of like real big hooks that like pulled me into um, the book before I even started reading it. So first of all, we just got to talk about that cover because it is dude, excellent. Yeah. Ella Latham made that cover. Uh, <laughs> she, um, knocked it out of the park and it is so striking and uh like just in the colors like the vibrancy of the colors like yeah it is it's iconic man it's awesome yeah it's it's one of those i was thinking about it earlier because you know kind of the day of i that i talk to someone i usually kind of prep some thoughts about it and that's a book that people are going to buy just on the cover yeah right alone and then decide later if they even want to read it it's just such a good cover um, which is a huge asset, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it pops, man. It's, it really <laughs> pops. And like, we were able to, um, you know how they make the, um, the like buzz bags or boxes or whatever, were like promo mm-hmm. boxes for reviewers and stuff. We were able to make t-shirts of the design. Oh, um, nice. and yeah. so like, oh my gosh, they're just, it's just such a cool design, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's a yeah, you can really merch around that pretty Ooh. easily, I think. Um, and I'm like, I'm, you know, happy to put it on my social media and stuff because, like, it's just, yeah, like you said, it pops. So, yeah, it's so I think that's she, a she did such a good job. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, and I, and one of the things I've always been dumb about is I always forget to talk about book covers when I'm talking right. to the authors because I'm so into the story, but this one obviously, um, and this was have the, to talk about it. This was the first, I I've actually written like three novels and a story collection before this. And I've designed every one of my own covers before that. And this is the first mm-hmm. one where I've been like, okay, major publisher, they do their <laughs> stuff their way. I'm out. And it, there's a lot of fear of, of giving that up, you know, that kind of control. Yeah. And then, uh, I'm just so stoked. You know, she did yep. such a good job. Yeah. Yeah. Big congrats on that. This, that was actually my original until I saw you talk about the cover somewhere online. Um, my original thought was going to be to ask you if you were, you had designed it because I know that you have a design kind of background. Right. So, um, yeah. Um, the other kind of hook that um, I am, I don't know if I read the synopsis online or what it was, but just the idea that like a severed hand that causes like a bunch of evil chaos. Yeah. Who doesn't want to find out more about yeah. that? So like, that's such an easy hook to get someone right. in is like, what the hell is going on with yeah. this hand? What is it? Where, what, why is it? Why does it exist? What does it do to people? Like what, you know? So I think just that quick premise of being like, 
do you want to hear about like a severed hand that makes people do crazy things? Right. And who's not going to, who's not going to want to do that? So, yeah. And that yeah, was that actually was the, talk. um, the two like kind of focal points for fever house were just this idea of a severed hand, uh, that drives you kind of like insane and violent. If you're in any kind of sustained proximity to it. And this character, Hutch Holtz, who's kind of a, a leg mm-hmm. breaker for hire who, um, I have, He's been in other novels that I've tried to finish. Um, and oh, just cool. for whatever reason, uh, though I, I shelved them. and uh, But he just kept coming back up. This character did again and again and again. So it was really like those two elements. And then trying to, to build a backstory of like just what this hand is. You know, that was really yeah. the two big uh, impetus, impetuses, I guess, for the book, <laughs> you know. And I guess I'll talk kind of zoomed out uh, before we dig into anything more specific. Um, I was talking to Sadie Hartman and she, she had recently read the book and um, we were talking about her uh, book that's coming out where it's, it, you know, a list of horror books and, and we were talking about categorizing books mm-hmm. and she was saying that yours would be really difficult because there's so much going on. Cause there's, a crime element, there's drama, there's, um, uh, there's like a government agency kind of thing going on, but there's also like a, a really hardcore horror element. Mm-hmm. So, um, I guess the next thing I will acknowledge is that there's just a ton of stuff going on in this book. And it's not what I expected when I just kind of decided to sign up to read about, a an evil severed hand. Right. Um, and you know that every so, single yeah. one of my books are like that where um, <laughs> they're hard to classify, you know, and um, they're just this weird ass amalgam of a bunch of stuff that I find interesting. And then I just shoehorn it all together into some hopefully cohesive narrative, you know, but like my novel smoke city uh, is about a, uh, drunk painter driving to his ex-wife's funeral and he picks up a guy who is the remorseful reincarnation of Joan of Arc's executioner. <laughs> and there's also ghosts everywhere all throughout the, you, you know what I mean? So it's just, yeah, it's crazy and it's funny and, and heartbreaking and all this stuff. And, but it's like, you know, how do you, what is that? <laughs> like, what the yeah. hell is that? And so, we've, you know, kind of lucked into this like horror crime nexus for fever house, but there's a ton of shit going on in there. You know, there's like familial stuff with Catherine Moriarty and her son. Um, Like you said, a bunch of like government black ops reports and stuff like that. So yeah, it's really, I just kind of like figure out an angel. Yeah. There's a possible like angel like thing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I really just pick like five or six weird ass things and then shove them together and turn it into a book. Yeah. Um, well, I think that, uh, it's well constructed. I think they all kind of work together in a way that, because, you know, it starts off with, uh, the kind of hired muscle dudes, uh, encountering, you know, ostensibly like a supernatural object that makes them feel violent um, and so I'm thinking this is the course of the book. And then, um, suddenly this secret agency kind of pops up because they're, you know, the ones who need to contain the situation. Right. And 
And that's, that's really great. Um, but then they have control of this, like maybe it's an angelic being who is trying to help them, not trying to being kind of coerced to help them. And yeah. Um, but then like, there's this really strong rock and roll, um, icon element to it with, um, you know, the, uh, Catherine Moriarty and, and um, Matthew Coffin and Nick Coffin, the whole family, right. you know, they had that, that fam- famous band. So I'm thinking, does this guy like, is he into all this stuff or did he just do a ton of research for this? Because it all feels well lived in. So right. wh- like what of this book is stuff that's familiar and stuff that you just decided it's in there. So I got to figure out how to talk about it. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> that's a really good question. Um, and it comes <laughs> back to like what we were chatting about, a little bit before recording was some of the stuff you just learn enough and research enough to bullshit your way through the, the 10 pages <laughs> you need or whatever, you know? Um, I think the stuff with uh, the blank letters, the band um, that's in the book, that stuff is all uh, a lived experience for me in the sense that like, you know, I'm an old punk kind of cut my teeth on nineties punk. And then there was this, the whole like major label, feeding frenzy around punk and alternative music back in the nineties. And, and that got very in DIY punk and hardcore, that shit got very divisive um, and seemed like a very big deal at the time, you know, uh, given the kind of nature of the world and the record industry and all that shit. Now it seems a little quaint, but at the time it was like really important, you know? Um, and so that, kind of world of like a big band like that. Uh, it's definitely something that, you know, I, I cut my teeth on um, just knowing about and, and being in that world for a long time, all that government ops shit, like that's all just made up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the um, <laughs> number station stuff and all of that. Like that's just me winging it, you know, but yeah. I love that. I love like with smoke city, I had to research, so much about what like French executioners were like. And I learned oh, yeah, like yeah. all this amazing, these amazing uh, uh, things. And with the mercy of the tide, my first book, I had to learn a lot about like nuclear pro- proliferation in the eighties. And so you just, I'm not uh, a college graduate. And so this notion of like, Oh my gosh, I actually have the means to really buckle down and, and research something thoroughly and then transfer that knowledge somewhere is still such a blast for me, you know? And then I get to try to bullshit people with it, you know, like it's so cool. (laughs) That is, and I would imagine that, that, that would probably be pretty fun. Um, figuring that kind of stuff out, um, and, and learning about it. But I, I think that sometimes when, um, you can tell when, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this because you do not do this. Um, but you can tell when someone gets too focused on just the the details or the information of the thing instead of how it enhances or whatever the story. So yeah. like I feel like sometimes you're reading a you're reading something and you're like, they they're just they're like, I put in the time, I gotta put all this information yeah, in there totally. instead of being like, yeah. what of this helps the story move along. Yeah. So I feel like you did a good job of not um, over, over explaining or over indulging any of those yeah. different kind and of elements. I think I have my, uh, my editor and agent to thank for that. You know what I mean? Cause they like, particularly my editor just really like tighten this thing up. You know what I mean? Um, Cause you get so close to something, you can't see it after a while, 
Yeah. You're just like, right. oh, well, this three paragraphs about how it's actually transmitted, you really need that in there. You know what I mean? Like, stuff like that. <laughs> right. Um, when you don't. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Or like a, like a severed hand, like fun. three paragraphs describing what it looks like. And it's like, no, it's fucking gray and there's a little bit of bone sticking out. You're done. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's it. Like, done. That's yeah. Need. Uh, and then, yeah, because then you you rely on the imagination of yeah. the reader to paint the picture that yeah you're you're trying to kind of evoke or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. and I definitely do. Um, I do write with a lot of detail. It is definitely a challenge to like dial that back. You know, um, I think I'm getting marginally better at it the more I write, but I still do. It's a challenge not to like front load shit or, or dump too much detail in. Well, as I was talking about before, um, when I kind of realized what was going on with the, the world building aspect of the book, um, juxtaposed with that is the fact that there's a, still a lot we don't know. I think when the book is done, there's still a lot that like um, I want to know more about. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I'm not going to point to specific things, but um, I don't know if that was restraint or like you had stuff planned already for the next book. But there was definitely like... Um, and I want to keep going kind of feel, um, when, when I got done reading it. Yeah. You know, honestly, it was a, um, it was different when the book sold, it was different. Uh, like I said, 30,000 less pages and all that or, uh, words, but, um, I did not necessarily, um, plan on a sequel. Like it, it felt like even with that, uh, kind of up in the air ending, you know, I'm like, that's, that's it, man. Uh, but again, my editor was like, um, will you write a sequel for it? And she's like, you got a deal either way. You know what I mean? But like, (laughs) I really would like you to write a sequel. What do you think? And so, uh, I said, yes, you know what I mean? And so it's been a very unique challenge, very, very unique challenge writing the second book, because as you know, Fever House ends with a very particular set of constraints. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, mm-hmm. it is not an a, uh, there are a lot of obstacles to get around the way that that book ends. And there's a lot of, like, <laughs> yeah. uh, things that you got to address uh, even before the book starts. You know what I mean? In the sense that, like, it's not just, like, Portland on an average afternoon. Like, shit happens in there that, like, you got to keep in mind when you're writing the sequel. I'm trying not to give spoilers right. here, but you know what I'm talking about. Right. 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 So yeah, it was a challenge. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, talking about the book structurally, one thing I want to acknowledge is that um, it's POV chapters. So like every chapter is written from the perspective of a different character. Um, and it's not necessarily like the same order. It's like whatever the story kind of requires, yeah. but um was it always that way or did you have to kind of mold it into that? Cause I feel like when you have a big cast like this, it is helpful to do that type of thing um, where we know who, whose kind of experience we're looking at. We're not kind of blending those together in the middle of a chapter. So was it always going to be that way? Yeah, definitely. It was, it was always from the beginning, a big multi-character multi POV thing. And um, just trying to like, if I am not a a plotter whatsoever, you know? And so 
I really just wrote the book where like, if the writing is going really well, I get the next little chapter or two kind of comes to me as I'm writing. So I'm like, Oh, I know who's going to be next. I know what's going to happen with them. And uh, occasionally I would get stuck and have to backtrack and then like kind of map things out a little bit, but it really was just meant to be like this, this really big expansive thing uh, with tons of characters. And I was really lucky because for the most part, the story just kind of clicked into place. There was no huge event where I had to backtrack and be like, Oh, I got to step back 15,000 words and start over, you know, it all kind of just fell into place generally. And then I got to add more after the book was bought and everything. And I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, definitely. Cause I've, I've definitely, um, there's a, there's, and I, we've all experienced that if we read books before, there's some times where um, there's not like a good enough kind of understanding of when things are changing from this character to this character. Yeah. And then I have to kind of do some mental kind of gymnastics to remember, okay, this is where we left this person. Yeah. You know? And so like, I feel like this structure makes it much more, okay, now we're talking about this again. So now I know, now I know the storyline I'm thinking about. So yeah, I think it's helpful to kind of the fluidity of, of the situation. Yeah. And I think that it was like, it was um, some of the critiques that I've heard is just that there is so many characters that, you know, it can be a challenge to keep track of. But I also think that as a writer, I hope that they are distinct enough characters and that the narrative is propulsive enough that like within like reading it really fast, you're like, Oh yeah, that's where we are. Oh yeah, that's what this guy's doing. Yeah. You know, like it's not like yep. there is definitely a in the kind of the character backstories, there's some navel gazing, you know, and like this is how I came to be this <laughs> shitty person or whatever. But for the most part, it's just you're just going from the beginning, you know, and it's it's yep. a big book, but it's like it reads fast, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um I will say to that point, there was only one time where I had to kind of like nudge myself about who a character yeah. was, and it was Don, the character Don, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of time between when we see Don at one point and then when we come back to him, right. and so much has happened yeah. that I have to kind of remind myself who Don right. was. But there's no way you could have like kept Don's story going right. in the middle, like yeah. so. Yeah, like um, that was the only time where I had that moment where I was like, "Wait, Don, mm-hmm. okay," and and you know, but that's a function of the yeah, story. Totally. Like if and, you did and it he, any other way, you, know, you would have been like, <laughs> in his little, uh, um, his last chapter, he really helps, uh, kickstart the narrative again, you know? So, yes. <laughs> um, and so I think the next thing I'm interested in talking, there's two ways I want to go with this. Um, zombies. Is that what the book's about? Oh shit. <laughs> Uh, is that something that we can talk about yeah, or is that yeah, too absolutely. spoilery? Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> so yeah, again, like all my books, it's like, um, I, I've said this in other interviews and stuff. I got this big ass idea that I, I want to be a literary writer. Right. And yet I grew up on GI Joe's Stephen King, uh, comic books. And so I am like incapable of not infusing <laughs> some kind of like supernatural thing or like a robot or, you know, something like that into my stuff. Um, so yeah. yeah, this is really just, uh, one of those, like, I just kind of picked a trope, you know, and then this is what came out. 
Well, I have a couple of thoughts about that. First of all, like it's not advertised in the beginning of the book that there's even like a reason we would think that it would go that direction. And I I don't know if you're like, there's an author named Christopher Moore and he writes like satire kind of stuff. Yeah. He writes all the vampire books, right? Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. He has those like San Francisco. They're funny. They're humorous kind of like um, he's got a book called the stupidest angel where, and I'm ruining this for anybody who hasn't read it, but um, is listening. He, it's like maybe 400 pages, 200, 300 and something pages. And he gets like almost 300 pages into the book before zombies appear. <laughs> and I was like, what? Right. And it just blew my mind. But it was so great the way that like, you know, the way that it happened. So um, uh, it kind of had a little flash of, oh, I guess this is the direction we're going. And, and I didn't expect that. But um, the thing about it is it approaches the idea of zombies or some sort of like, ravenous undead thing in a way that I don't, and I'm not an expert on zombies, but in a way that I'm not super familiar with, which is more of like, yeah, a thank you. That was like ancient evil mm-hmm. kind of way or whatever, instead of like uh, your contagion or, or whatever. So yeah, that was, um, kind of unique, new, unique. That was so that was super intentional where it's not like uh, necessarily science based or explainable by science, you know? And that's something that is yeah. addressed in the second book. Um, so yeah, it was like, again, just trying to, to take a trope, like a ghost story with smoke city or a monster in the mercy of the tide. Uh, and just, um, there's a unicorn in road seven, my other book, you know, um, and just trying to take these Mm -hmm. tropes and just entertain myself, you know what I mean? And like, enjoy, enjoy it. But like, I admire people like authors who can write about a failing marriage, you know what I mean? And do it like compellingly and and beautifully. I just, it, it doesn't hold my interest as a writer. And um, I just love writing about weird shit, but running it through the lens of like heavy characterization, you know? Sure. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, zombie. I think, yeah, the, <laughs> The thing that um the thing that they do in in this book is at least my impression as the reader is uh kind of trying to think of the best way to say this. It helps people realize the um consequences of actions a lot because like due to people doing shit, you know, things get out of control, I guess is like the carefulest way yeah. to say it. So um um it does cause like characters to think about what they've done, what it means, like all that kind of stuff. So it does, it does spin like a, a good kind of story telling like narrative. I'm not sure exactly what I'm trying to say, but it does, it is not just for the sake of all the gore yeah, and, absolutely. and violence that exists. It's like, it's got a, it's got more depth yeah. to it than that. And I mean, I, I like to think that it, it's very much particularly with like the, um, the there's a, a rock star character uh, named Matthew Coffin who is um, arrogant and terrified and and kind of uh, a shitty guy, you know, who is kind of like uh, trod through a bunch of people's lives, you know, um, with not a lot of consequence. And then he ultimately has this desire to like redo it and be better, a better person than he was, you know. And there are government agents 
uh, and agencies who are just very much like might makes right. We fucking do what we want uh, because we can, you know? And so it's very much this exploration of like ambition, you know what I mean? And um, yeah, just kind of stepping over people just to do it. You know what I mean? Just because like power feels absolute to a lot of people in this book. I hope that makes sense. Definitely. You know, that's kind of as far as no, exploration. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's really about ambition and power, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, and in ways I just, I probably didn't think about until you, you said that, but I definitely saw that from the government agency yeah. side, but, um, uh, the, the Matthew coffin side totally makes sense when you say it. Yeah. Um, but then I think about, so John Bonner is a character. Bonner? Yeah. Bonner. Bonner. Is, is a character who is of the agency and he's had some recent kind of run-ins with um, making mistakes as a law enforcement agent. Right. And, and so he's kind of the other side of that coin in a way where he, he did the thing that you would think the bad cops do, Yeah, but you know, he's like legitimately haunted by it and stuff. So we get to see the other side of, of that ambition, which is like, I thought that's who I was. And, and once something bad happened now, like I'm kind of lost, right. but he still, uh, got political coverage, you know what I mean? And he still got rescued. For it. <laughs> right. Um, and so, yeah, he's, he's swimming in some, yeah, so. absolutely. <laughs> you know? And so he, like his story is far from done in the second book, but like, yeah, he, he really, uh, all things considered makes out pretty well, you know what I mean? And has got like, uh, um, his journey is not particularly done. We shall say for book two, you know, um, <laughs> right. Cause yeah, he's, he's like, uh, as far as the end of the book, like he's a, at, at, at fault as anyone is, you know, um, really. So, yep. and again, yep. it's so fun to talk about this shit while being vague, you know, it's like, like yeah. without trying to lay spoilers. We kind of know. We're yeah, like... totally. Wink, wink, <laughs> nudge, nudge. um so yeah there yeah um there i mean we could dig into the other characters of the agency as well that arc agents arc hey go right arc party that's my podcast um but um there was something interesting well the lundy character david lundy who's kind of the in charge of of this clandestine situation is kind of i think the large face of that ambition type of thing and then manipulating the samantha wiles character Samantha Wiles character um, into doing his bidding in a way that that manipulation was something that was really cool to read. Yeah. And that again was very much, that was all my editor being like, we need a backstory for her. Um, Cause she can't, uh, as it is now, she's just kind of a grouchy attack dog. You know what I mean? And so like, we need some like right. history as to why uh, she's just uh, this, this bullet for this guy, you know? Um, so that was a lot of fun. It was really challenging. Um, and again, it, it, it is another one of those tropes, like the, the like assassin who goes through the CIA farm and all that shit, you know, but it was so fun to write. Like that stuff is so fun to write. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, she was, uh, another one of those people who, um, I hope we have a little bit of, empathy for her at the end of it, even though like she's a pretty fucking brutal character on her own, you know? 
but she was kind of made that way yeah. to a large degree. Yeah, definitely. Like definitely led in directions right. without maybe knowing she was being led in those right. directions. Yeah. Um, one thing that we haven't really acknowledged about the book openly is that there's, it's kind of brutal. Like there's like when you describe violence, you're not shy about it, my friend. And so like much like uh, I was, uh, when I interviewed Philip Fakoski recently about his book, boys in the Valley, I was tempted to start the interview by just saying, Jesus uh -huh. Christ, man. And, um, and so there's definitely a vein of that with this book too, where like, I was really thinking the first impression is definitely like, Holy shit. Um, and so uh, I guess it's worth acknowledging, like it gets pretty brutal in some point. Yeah. And you know, I, uh, I, again, I just love uh, trying to distill acts of violence down kind of as like um, graphically, but also succinctly, like you don't have to talk again about three paragraphs about blood running down a face, you know, like you can like do it through dialogue half the time or whatever, you know, like there's a scene where a guy pulls yeah. his own tooth out. And is like, you're going to knock my teeth out. Fuck you. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Like yeah. you can do things like that. Um, without having to, to fall into, you know, the, the, tr the trap of like page after page or paragraph after paragraph of it. Um, and I do do that occasionally, right. you know what I mean? But I also hope, hope that that punctuates the gore versus like just an unending, you know, page after page of it. Um, yeah, that shit's fun to write, right. man. <laughs> the page after page thing, I call it the uh, the Anne uh -huh. Rice problem because I like in the little Anne Rice I've ever read, she'll spend three to, three pages talking about like a right, right, right. or something. Totally. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think the example that comes to mind, and I think it comes to mind because it just stuck with me early into the what the hell's going on kind of phase of the book. They're at a medical examiner's office or something. And the first person that they see has no face or something. <laughs> and like, that's what, like one of them says, like she yeah, doesn't have right, a face right. or they don't have a face or something like that. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's totally. all I need to know. Yeah. Like the picture is starkly right. in my mind. So yeah, that's definitely an effective way yeah. to, to yeah, go. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, it's the two uh, arc agents kind of talking to each other as they're watching this person shamble out of the, medical examiner's office. And it's, again, it's just stuff like that, you know? Um, I yeah. like, this is definitely the most horror heavy, like horror specific book uh, that I've written. Um, and again, it's still a weird amalgamation of like crime and other stuff, but yeah, that stuff is like uh, such a treat when you get to like dip into the like yeah. icky parts, you know, it's so fun. Like, uh, People's yeah. talking or why they're doing this. Ugh, give me more eyeballs popping out, please. Horror belongs everywhere, if you ask me. So, like, uh, horror, you know, it is horror exists kind of everywhere in our lives. And so I think that's kind of where it belongs in writing, too. Mm -hmm. um, so um, mixed in with crime elements or, or spy thriller elements and stuff, it's totally it seems totally natural to me because. It, horror kind of permeates everything in a way. I was talking to someone who was like kind of confused why romance in a bookstore would be next to horror. And to me, I'm like, that totally yeah. makes sense because they're, they're both evoking these like strong feelings. They're just different kinds of feelings. So yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, horror, horror belongs in wherever 
wherever it can find itself. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's one of those things where like, um, again, this is the first one where I would say it's like very, uh, central to the book. And so, um, I think my other shit is more like kind of moored in like magical realism or literary fiction, you know? And so this is a cool, mm-hmm. a cool, it was a cool opportunity for me to just go like full tilt into it, you know? Um, and so, and then to try to kind of sustain that same tone in book two is going to be interesting. You know what I mean? Has been definitely challenging yeah. to be like, it needs to be as like bada 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 as the first one was, you know, propulsive. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, I think it's the right time to to throw some horror elements into your book as far as like popularity of the yeah, genre goes, right? because you, I think you acknowledge. I don't know if you acknowledge it on the conversation or before we started recording, but it's there's definitely a moment happening right yeah, now. Yeah, and so, it's um, that's a and that's a, such an in. in inclusive yeah. community like they really embrace and that was we had mentioned sadie hartman that's one of the things that i really appreciated about uh her compendium that she put out uh or that is being published uh because it's all shipped from the past 20 years you know or and in many cases yep. the past yeah. two or three years you know um so a yep. focus on like it's not just about the lottery or Amityville horror or, you know, Stephen King's novels or whatever. Like there's so much amazing stuff being put out like this week, you know, uh, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very good. And um, I'm, it's, it, there's, yeah, it's definitely something that's going to be helpful yeah. for a lot of people. Um, just kind of, cause I, I was that way before I was, you know, podcasting i i had like the handful of authors that i i knew that i liked and then i didn't know how to find other ones and it can just be so overwhelming you know what i mean yeah 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 definitely talking about influences of the book before i ask you if there were specific influences for the horror elements i'm going to tell you a couple of of books or or authors that spring to mind with with some of the elements of the book and the first one um is Richard Layman's One Rainy Night. Heard of him, haven't read him. So um, his, so One Rainy Night is, so he's yeah. just crazy. It was a crazy horror author, but like that book, the basic pre- premise is one night for no explained reason, it starts raining this black liquid and anybody who gets touched by it goes completely <laughs> insane and murderous. And so like, it's basically the moment people start getting rained on, it's just, yeah, you gotta right. survive. And so that book came to mind, uh, f- for reasons, yeah. um, in regards to this book. Um, but then like in general, kind of a Jonathan Mayberry, I don't know if you, if you're too familiar with Jonathan Mayberry, but, uh, and the reason is like his books definitely have kind of like a horror supernatural mm-hmm. element to them, but also look at things sometimes from more of like a, military government agency okay. like we understand that these things are in the world and and there's like a um there's a governmental reaction yeah. to them so that was that was someone who kind of came to mind as well so i didn't know if there was any anything there but it Zero sounds for like two no, so far but <laughs> here's the thing anybody who's reading or listening or watching this um if those things are something that you're into i feel like you would find something in this book that um that speaks yeah. to you. So that would be a good kind of 
comparison or, or recommendation. If like you're into that kind of one rainy night situation or, or like Jonathan Mayberry's kind of approach with like the military elements of things, I think that there's a good crossover. All right. there. I'll take it. That being <laughs> said, did you have any specific uh, influences for this story or do you not really work in that way? You know, it's so, it's such a trip. I, I don't think I, I um, take on anything willfully. Um, I do think there are writers uh, that I kind of take on uh, unintentionally. You know what I mean? I think that like, you know, stuff like Kelly Link's like world building is just insane. She's so good at it. She's unstoppable at it. Um, (laughs) And like Andy Davidson's uh, in the Valley of the sun was a huge influence. Richard Lang's Rovers, which was again a vampire novel, but set with this like kind of ageless like biker gang, and um, just this pitch perfect like merging of crime and horror, you know. So that was a big one. That nice. as I was reading it and writing Fever House, I was like, my God, it can be done. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> and there was a one of my earliest uh, when I first started reading as a young man in my early twenties started reading, like just for the joy of it outside of like horror stuff and all that read this guy named Michael Doan, um, who's kind of a literary, uh, kind of macho literary guy who did like, I think five novels throughout the eighties and early nineties. And, uh, I just devoured his stuff so much. And I, so this notion of like, there's a a book, uh, about a spy agency, uh, who works with like the world health organization and stuff in the eighties called city of light. And I'm rereading that right now. And it just reminds me of like that merging of like genre fiction and literary stuff where you can have expansive characters, uh, but still kind of play around with tropes is like, that's what I want to do, you know? And so those, I think stuff like that, where you show me uh, genre stuff, but you make it like, about the people inside the book. That's, that's what I want to read. And that's what I want to write. I think that, and this has kind of been coming up in conversation a lot. Um, recently I love when I get to know a character and kind of live in their life a little bit. And, and a story is kind of fills out characters well, and it's deeper and in depth and everything. And and what you did, um, but I have to, like, in my mind, remind myself sometimes it's okay to just read something entertaining. Oh, yeah. Like that one, that one rainy night book I mentioned, the Richard Lehman book, there's not a ton of character development because everybody's just dying right, and murdering. Right. So, like, yeah. there's a purpose to that book, um, and it can be that, and that's fine. But I find myself, first of all, like, kind of gravitating more toward the, like, character-driven stories um, and things like that. But they're also more fun to yeah. talk about. I think there's there's more there to kind of explore yeah. too. <laughs> and I'm right now I'm reading so. uh, Nick Harkaway's Titanium Noir. That's a I think I've seen the cover for that. I think it's, it's, a, it's awesome. a pretty good Such looking good cover. cover. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, so he, he's another guy that does like John, like Tiger Man is essentially a superhero story. You know about this guy who dresses up as a superhero uh, on this uh, totally fictionalized island. Um, I believe a fictionalized island and. Um, but he's another guy that plays with tropes. This one is like a crime one and like sci-fi smushed together. Uh, and he does this thing where it's like, he's able to tell you so much backstory 
or like the way these two characters uh, relate to each other just in a line or two, you know, because he's just yeah. able like he's that good of a wordsmith, you know, where it doesn't take a paragraph or a page. It's like a line or two, you know? Yeah, that's that's incredible talent. And one of the all right, so that reminds me of something that's come up recently is that sometimes when it's so effortlessly done, you don't recognize the talent that it takes to make it that way. Yeah. Um, there's an author named Craig Clevenger. Who's like traditionally like a, he's a crime writer and um, he's a buddy of mine and he just had a book come out. And one of the things that like people who get it kind of talk about is his books are so easy to read because they're so, he does such a good job of, of crafting the story and the narrative and, and stuff that you don't realize how much work it probably took to get yeah. to that point. Um, so like, I like to recognize when that is done well, that it had to be fucking hard. Just <laughs> to do edit that. after edit after edit, you know, yep. what's his new yeah. one, by the way, it's called mother howl. Okay. That, yeah. I definitely yeah. want to read that one. Yeah. He's a, like, he's uh, just one of my favorite as far as like being, um, just a, a talented writer. Um, uh, he's, he's, he's up there with, um, some of my favorites, but yeah, yeah, his original, his first book contortionist handbook is just, I mean, it came out in the early, in the mid two thousands, I think. So it's, it's, it's got some age on it, but that book is just, it stands up. It's timeless um, right on. and it's pretty quick. It's like under 200 pages, I think. But yeah, if you want, if anybody wants to read just a book, that's just, unassailably like perfect when it comes to like the writing style, like that's that guy, he's hard to touch. Yeah. Right on. But I think he gets overlooked as far as that talent goes. Cause it's just like, yeah, it was a great story, but mm-hmm. you don't think if you don't think about it deeper, you don't realize how hard that kind of thing is. So that's right. kind of what you made me think about when you were saying yeah, that. Totally. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So bringing it back around to Fever House in general, um, first of all, and I, I, I never, I'm always so bad about this, but I just want to acknowledge that I really enjoyed the book and it is, it's a weighty, it's a, it's a heavy book. It's I think almost 450 pages. Yeah. Um, but you managed to pace it in a way where, um, it doesn't feel that big. And then also one of the things I'm going to go back to acknowledging the POV chapters thing, um, because we get to see what's going on with these characters in a chapter and then we go to someone else and everything. If I was looking at the chapter list, if I saw someone was coming up, I'm like, Ooh, I wonder what's going on there. Like, right. I I was using the chapter list as a way to be like, huh, I wonder where this is going. So, um, uh, yeah, definitely paces well for such a big book. So, um, uh, I I appreciate that. that. It was definitely intentional with like, you know, crime novels and stuff where it's like a lot of, try to try to end on a cliffhanger as much as possible, you know? Um, okay. Yeah. And so it was like really intentional to um, even on long ass chapters, you know, and there are some long ones in there. Some of them are a page and then some of them are, you know, 40 pages. Usually they're like six or seven pages, but um, it's just to try to end on some kind of like, Ooh, like uh, yep, kind of explosive moment or like potential for what's going to happen next, you know? Very successful. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> definitely successful. Like trying to sustain that uh, in the second one again is like, um, yeah, you don't want to make a copy of the first book, you know, but definitely like uh, certain benchmarks should be met, you know? And so it's been really challenging to kind of toe that line. Um, yeah. So 
Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, and then kind of a final thought that I had because of what we were just saying. Um, for the most part, it's a pretty traditionally told story, but there are some elements that are a bit different. So there's like news articles and like you had mentioned, um, uh, government agency reports. And then at one point, there's actually song lyrics. So reading the song lyrics, reading the news article, I was thinking if I didn't have experience in that type of writing, I would find that immensely challenging. So um, I'm wondering if that was part of the book that was easy for you to write or was it a little bit more challenging? Um, you know, I actually was able, I was in a uh, shitty band uh, and I was able to put <laughs> some of my own lyrics. Um, oh, right on. For that song. Yeah. Um, not all of them, but like, I think maybe uh, a stanza or two. And then that actually also the, there's like a Rolling Stone article in there, I think um, yeah. was again, one of Caitlin's requests uh, that kind of like we hear, some history of the band and their dynamics through like an actual like music interview at their height. And so yep. I love shit like that. You know what I mean? It's so fun. And it lends like such an air of like weird veiled legitimacy to it, you know, like, Oh, it's a real band. I love they're like little <laughs> Easter eggs, man. I love those things. So yeah. it was fun to write. Yeah. Good. Pulled off well. So I was like, man, I, to me, that would be like the thing that would stop me. Like, it would right. be like, well, we have to push the release back because I have to figure out how to fucking do this. Yeah. And <laughs> just like writing the like transcripts of the, all the government reports and like figuring out how classified documents are like laid out. Like, oh, that's all nerd shit. I love it. It's so fun. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> to honor the time we have together, uh, I'm just going to wrap it up. I want to say, uh, uh, just, I want to re-acknowledge. So the release date is when for Fever House? August 15th. August 15th. So it's, um, it's coming up. I think that, uh, again, I love the book and, um, it's a great ride. So, uh, pre-order it. I saw somewhere and I will link to this, that you have a specific bookstore that's doing, um, uh, handling your like signed pre-orders. Yeah. Broadway right? books in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I think it's broadwaybooks.net. Uh, hand, cool. are going to handle all the signed and inscripted books. So if you don't catch me at like an event, that's the best way to get a signed or personalized copy. And you can call yeah. them. And then we're supporting. Yeah. Yeah. We're supporting independent bookstores. Yeah, they're fantastic. Book, awesome so, bookstore. Yeah. So. Uh, usually like I have a normal link that I send uh, or that I have yeah. for pre-orders. Like, but if there's a, a store you're coordinating with, I like to push that because. That, I'm sure they appreciate it. Right on you're getting more, you know, as an, as a reader, you're getting something extra as a reader. You're also supporting an independent bookstore. Yeah. So we'll definitely, I'll link to that primarily. Awesome. Uh, I appreciate this. it, dude. Um, but Hey, I, I want to thank you so much for taking some time. We've never met before. So I know it's kind of a gamble. Like, is this even going to be, yeah, know, is right. going to be a jerk or whatever. Yeah. So uh, I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and, I always want to thank the author for giving me something entertaining. So um, I really appreciate the time you put into making such a great story for, for us to all read. I really appreciate you uh, being a awesome reader and taking the time to like have me on here and, you know, be like, what the hell am I going to ask this guy? Like, I really appreciate it. It's, it's, uh, you know, uh, doing all this stuff is, is a total privilege. So I really appreciate it. 